Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Halt. And today is a very special episode. We have a guest from Atlas on. We have Brady from Atlas. How are you doing today, Brady? Hey, doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so I just kind of want to just talk about a few like current events maybe with you. So did you see it all today that the, uh, the SpaceX flight happened? Um, SPCE, the, they got to space and back safely. Yes, yes, I did. I, I did see that. I was on vacation uh, for the week, but uh, but I did see that news. People were talking about space tickers, um, you know, all over, including SPC. So that was one of my favorite uh, cult tickers I used to trade in the past for those who remember. So Yeah, I mean, that's going to be really cool. And I mean, with the market opening tomorrow, because um, we're recording this on a Sunday, that's going to be probably one of those morning movers, um, at least a little bit. And it's almost near all time highs, I think, right now anyway. Yeah, so uh, SPCB is not, um, sorry, SPC, it's not only a uh, cult ticker kind of in, you know, mid-large cap world, but it's also um, high short float. So, you know, you you remember as one of the kind of Wall Street bet names and stuff. So yeah. Anytime that gets any sort of like, I mean, you saw the gap up, you know, not too long ago either too, right? So anytime it gets any sort of traction, right? you know, it'll, it'll do these big moves just because of that, you know, high short float and it's a cult, right? So you have a cult ticker with a high short float. So that adds more fuel to the fire. Yeah. That's a theme. Uh, the theme is high short percentages recently. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I mean, on that, uh, you know, I know um, you wanted to ask about general kind of market environment. I'll, you know, give you the chance to ask, ask that question, but yeah. So basically um, I would say that uh, market, uh, I think market tanked overnight. Was it a Wednesday night? I think it was Wednesday night. And yeah. then a lot of people kind of had, um, you know, small cap world, I can talk about large cap world too, you know, had overnight positions and they took a hit and, um, you know, including myself. And so um, when that happened, you know, you would think that there was kind of no Momo, but, you know, uh, something that I think is kind of helpful, um, you know, for, for beginner traders is that, you don't need a green market or a red market for a small cap world to be good, right? It's all about volume volatility. And so what happened was uh, Carve, right? Which was, you know, super low flow. I think it was like under a million, um, you know, runs with kind of diversity or BLM as they like to call it. Mm -hmm. That went parabolic four or 500%. And then that set off, like, even if you didn't have positions, right? In any of those BLM tickers, it set off momentum. And it set off squeezes, makes, you know, kind of short scared and then, you know, or more concerned, right, to cover their positions at X prices. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, momentum in small cap world. Yeah, exactly. It's all about kind of just if you can have that one mover on a day that keeps the bears kind of on their toes. Because a lot of people, a lot of like shorts will um, back off if they see something like that. If they see the market like weak and they see a lot of things just grinding down, they're gonna feel comfortable. But if they see something that just randomly popped 200%, no news, all because of volume, then if they're on something that they know is highly shorted, they're gonna they're gonna back off. And just like you said, that can catch fire and that can just kind of push the whole penny land um, up a few percent. And you can check that on those uh, those ETFs. I think there's a few that track the small caps, but those are, those are good to watch. So I guess um, another question for you is, how did you begin trading? Uh, yeah, so I actually started out in small cap world. Uh, this was, um, can't remember too much, but uh, like four and a half, five years ago. Um, no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I blew up a few like, you know, small accounts at that time, um, just because I was just kind of learning the, you know, learning the group. And then at that time, like uh, I had met Ripster. Um, you know, you all know Ripster. And then we used to just trade bio tickers. So I tried to basically learn bio tickers. And um, one of the strategies that, you know, I think kind of resonated well with me was uh, there's like a post offering um, type bio, right? So there's a bio and it does a, you know, offering. And then I would figure out when it would settle in after the offering, which is usually below kind of X price, right? And then there would be some sort of run up thereafter. So I got used to kind of figuring out how to attack like a higher low with that. And, and uh, th those were my first setups, but I wasn't nearly, those were my highest probability setups at the time, but I wasn't kind of consistently profitable at that time. So basically um, I started kind of trading like everybody else with kind of the long-term investments and the ETFs like TQQ, which is the triple lever kind of ETF that tracks NASDAQ. Right. And then I just wanted to kind of be able to compound gains a little faster right? Without having to put a ton of capital, right? Like I don't want to kind of risk, like 
you know, at that time, my trading wasn't even kind of, you know, up to par. So there's no reason for me to, you know, kind of risk a ton of capital, right, to, you know, yeah. to make a little spread. And so I ventured into small cap world and obviously, you know, I, I got caught in offerings. I did all that, you know, good stuff that everybody else did. And, um, and I found a mentor uh, and this, this guy, Kevin, um, you know, most of you don't know who he is, but he, um, he was really good with indicators and stuff like that. And he taught me some stuff and that helped me get a little bit better. So I learned like kind of the simple moving averages, the exponential moving averages, all the indicators you can ever imagine. <laughs> um, like I kind of learned them all. And I didn't just kind of figure out like, okay, you know, RSI is this amount. I really tried to dig deep into the math and kind of understand what I was using. Um, that actually helped me become more profitable, but it wasn't like, I wasn't consistent enough, right? And so that was kind of my whole journey. Like I, um, I, uh, I don't know how many accounts I blew up, maybe like five, six, seven, right? They were smaller yeah, at yeah. that time, right? But, you know, uh, but every single time I would just like reset, I'd keep going, reset, keep going. And you know, ultimately I actually got better at those indicators to make them consistently profitable, but, um, but it wasn't kind of the key. And as you all probably know from now, right, I kind of have naked charts and that's kind of my final kind of evolution where, you know, I really started to kind of break out. Um, and really actually, I, uh, I would say kind of, you know, for small cap world specifically, taking notes and, you know, having a trading journal on all the, you know, personalities of, you know, penny tickers and stuff and happy to kind of elaborate more a little later. Um, but, uh, that, that, that was kind of what took me to, to the next level. Um, and so there's a specific trading journal we can talk about, but, uh, but yeah, so that's just long story short. Yeah. So you said that, um, you've kind of been recently using trader sync, um, or trading sync and yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts on it because I use this bad boy right now. Um, and I, I use it and I track everything, but sometimes, I mean, my hand gets tired if it's a busy day and I get kind of bored of having to write it down. So just give us your thoughts and give us kind of your overall review of, uh, of that, that platform. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'd, um, I, I always maintain a trading journal, but it was, uh, I created this Excel spreadsheet. Um, I did uh, mergers acquisitions before this. So I was kind of very, you know, kind of good at creating, um, like, you know, uh, stuff that, that would just work for me, but like, um, traders. So, uh, I was deciding between trader sync and trader view, I believe. Those are the kind of the two trading journals that people use. So I think legitimately uh, Trader Sync has a really good platform. So a couple of things just to highlight that I think are actually helpful. And this isn't a sales pitch because I'm not even an influencer for them yet. <laughs> so, but basically, um, uh, I would say kind of the key things that stand out to me is um, it'll break out kind of like all your trades, just like, you know, and just regular kind of, you know, P&L like on a daily basis. You can look, you do different spreads, but I would say the biggest thing is what I did um, over this weekend was I categorized all my trades into a particular type of setup, right? So let's say you're trading like earnings setups or you're trading oversold setups or breakout plays, whatever setup you want to kind of call it, right? You know, or, or bio specific plays. And then I categorized all my mistakes and I did this in incredible detail. So for example, um, like, you know, one of, them, one of them is like, you know, force trade when, you know, market is weak, right? That's a bad idea. Um, I took a big hit on Thursday because of that, right? Yeah. Um, so like those little things. And then there's also stuff like uh, sometimes in small cap world, I traded stuff that wasn't popular enough. So for example, I had my eyes on BCTX and I could have gone that, you know, at a ridiculous price in four, eight hours. And I didn't just have my eyes on it. I was ready to pull the trigger. But I picked something that was less popular um, and it cost me. Uh, it didn't really like cost me a lot in terms of kind of, you know, PL loss or anything, but it was just like, you know, I had this great play and I knew it and I just didn't go for it. So, yeah. and then I, I categorized those trades going back, right, you know, a couple of months. And I noticed that that was kind of, you know, one of my biggest mistakes. So basically the platform for Trader Sync, um, I don't think you need the, uh, they have three tiers, like the elite version. But basically, like they have fifty percent off if, um, and then they have a seven-day free trial too, so you don't even need to pay money, right? So basically, like, uh, so if it's fifty percent off for kind of their their, um, I forgot the second tier version, right? It's like twenty-five bucks a month, which is like nothing for what you gain from it. And um, I think kind of being able to categorize your mistakes and be able to to do that—that's like that's something I could never do by hand, just period. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I would say that's one of the biggest features. And then what you can do is 
after you have all your different strategies and setups, right? Um, like for example, I categorize some of my strategies into sector specific stuff. So like BLM, semiconductor, right? Post offering, right? Bios, that's kind of how I do it, right? You know, you can kind of do, anybody can do their own system, right? However they want to kind of call it. And then I realized that I was kicking butt in kind of like retail space for something like XCLB, all these other tickers. And I was doing really well with actually OG tickers. OG, I, I use that term to kind of represent kind of the most popular tickers that not only they're, they're, they were popular in the past, right? So they're likely to be popular again when they have a really good setup. And so those are kind of my, my bread and butter, right? So when I trade those, um, it has a similar that simulator that basically says, hey, you know, if you just you know, did some of these more profitable setups, you would do better. Yeah, I think that uh, that idea of the the categorizing your mistakes is is absolutely amazing because that's basically what I try to do in the journal. I try to just write down if I made a bad trade, what what happened. So the fact that you can categorize it and kind of track it is is nuts, and I think that's probably super helpful. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's um, yeah. To me, uh, I, I know it seems like crazy, like sales pitchy, and uh, you know, Scalper Ryan and, and Atlas was kind of convincing me to to try it out. I was like, it's free for seven days, so you can you know yeah. do, do whatever you want with it, right? You might as well just try it for seven days, um, and they give you full full access to all features for those seven days. Um, I think it's actually better than TraderView, um, just because like uh, I don't know if TraderView has that categorization. I just kind of flipped through it, but it wasn't as as like the, the way that I wanted it. And so I think that categorization is really helpful. Then in terms of trading journal, right? You can write stuff in your trading journal, but you don't, and you have a general idea of kind of the tickers you traded, but that basically will line up, hey, I traded all these tickers, right? And then, you know, you could just write out. I basically typed out, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong, right? Um, did I take profits too soon? Right. So that's a category I also have taking profits too soon. So basically like, you know, going forward on Monday and I should have done this because the thing is like, I always, I always knew about this, but you're not really conscious about it until you, you know, go record, you know, I don't know how many transactions, right. 500 transactions. Right. I know it's a pain in the ass, but moving forward, you only need to record X amount, especially for a swing trader. Right. And so doing that will basically give you a, like a good basis to go off. So now I know, like going forward, I need to protect against market weakness a little bit better. Um, and I know how to do it. It's just, I'm being stubborn um, and I'm not reacting, right? And I, I, I won't react for like two weeks, even though I can read like VPA like fluently. It's like the dumbest thing ever. And yeah. then also trading not popular, you know, tickers that are not as popular, even if they're just slightly kind of, you know, not as good technically, just slightly different, right? But they're both pretty good setups. Just go for the more popular one, you know, if, if there's just a slight change and there's no need to, you know, be picture perfect for something, something like that. Cause I missed out on a big move on BCTX and a move. So I was yep. like, okay, I mean, that was the dumbest thing, you know, could have ever done. But, you know, these are the type of things that, you know, somebody uh, asked about training journals. Um, I actually think this is uh, revolutionary. It's like, it's legitimately a very, very helpful tool. I don't think you need the elite version. I think it's just the one in the middle is what you need. Well, to, to go off what you're you're talking about is we last episode or the episode before that we were going over the importance of having a journal whether it be a paper journal or something like Trader Sync which I actually use as well um, but say you say you have a journal and you're seeing you're writing everything down and you take 20 trades in a week five of those trades that went wrong you write bad entry bad entry bad entry now you know okay I'm taking bad entries or I overextended into a position. You got you to mark all these things down. And if you're seeing the same problem reoccur over and over, okay, well, now it's now we know what needed, we need to work on. If our entries are bad, we need to work on our entries. Um, so, yeah, the importance of a journal is it's crucial to fixing your mistakes. Yeah, I can, I can say that as well. Like the biggest thing for me has been being able to just look back at the week and basically say, okay, well, three times on a day trade, um, I took it because I saw other people talking about it, and I didn't take it because it lined up with my criteria. And then the next week, I can make sure that everything lines up with my criteria. And I would say 75% of the time, it helps me. Um, which if you can have something helping you 75% of the time in this game, that's, that's um, exponentially going to help you throughout the next the week, month, years. So Brady, um, if you had one piece of advice for beginner traders, because our season one of this this podcast 
is all about beginner traders. So one piece of advice for beginner traders that you think would have helped you back in the day, what would you give them? Um, yeah, I actually think the journal is actually uh, number one. Um, and to give more color, just so people, you know, because everyone always wants like color, right? You know, instead of general info, some of the mistakes that I have, for example, in my journal, and this started kind of four years ago, but it was in caveman writing, right? Um, was like adding too early, catching a knife. Um, I'm actually good at catching knives, but um, I'm not you know, good enough for it to be a strategy. <laughs> and then yeah. forcing a trade when the market's weak. Um, the other one I have is kept adding higher after gains. Um, not enough size when market's stronger. Um, it took me too long to size up in June. I left a week of basically like money on the table. Not popular enough, which we talked about, and then sold too soon, which I fixed with um, you know volume price analysis, which is just looking at candles and volume to maximize whatever you take out. Yeah, I think um, when we get to maybe season two or season three, we want to have you on again, maybe for volume price analysis, um, because that's kind of your your thing too. I know that you're you're well versed in that, and that's something that I know people they take from you, and I see them talk about it all the time how it's helped them um, kind of level up as a trader. So we definitely want you on again to talk about volume price analysis. Um, but uh, Ant, do you have any more questions for him regarding uh, stocks? Yeah, I have a I have a couple questions. Uh, Brady, was there like a aha moment per se that like during your trading career where you're like, oh, like I can I can do this full time, or uh, it started to click for you? Yeah, it's uh, it actually all lies in uh, volume price analysis. So there's so many you know indicators out there, right? But uh, you know, I, I think uh, people, including myself, fail to see the power of just reading a candle and reading volume, and then because Here's the thing, right? You know, you talk a lot about mental psychology and all this stuff, right? You can't be mentally stable when you do all these trades or do whatever thing if you have no idea what you're doing, right? But when you can kind of fully understand all the ins and outs of those candles, um, they're kind of on my YouTube channel, whatever, right? Free, no ads, there's no advertisements or selling or whatever, right? That'll, um, that'll level you up to the sense that like, you know what's going on. So you make a mistake, you legitimately know exactly why, right? Okay, like, Okay, you're buying because there's, for example, you know, kind of high volume with a narrow body candle on a way down. That's that that shows buyers are coming in. Because if those were sellers, you would see a wider body, you know, kind of candle, right, with that amount of you know selling volume. So just an example of that, but that's kind of all in the, you know, I have I think 120 hours of kind of YouTube videos on that um, that I used to do on my Twitch streams. Kind of took a break for you know family reasons and just to chill, relax. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I think we've, I think we've shouted you out quite a few times on the podcast. I tell everyone to go to your, go to your link in Atlas, um, on the, the education and also check out your Twitch and check out your YouTube because the amount of stuff you have on there, people just, people just soak it up and it's, it helps people, um, gradually get better much faster than they would be if they didn't have, um, uh, the education that you put out. So thank you for uh, helping out the community with all that stuff. No, no, absolutely appreciate the kind words. Yeah, there's there's really not enough of that, honestly, with uh, people like yourself and what we're trying to do here. We're we're trying to actually like educate people and make it understandable because a lot of the lingo is like it's like a completely different language. So I'm sure we all remember when we first started. It was almost you're like, what does this mean? What does this mean? So um, the only other question I have is, if you weren't trading, is there anything else that you're like passionate about, or maybe you went to school for, or you could have see, seen yourself doing for a career? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Actually, um, there's a couple of things, but uh, I would have liked to actually pursue. So I used to play uh, tennis. Um, I was uh, kind of captain of my team. I played in uh, college as well. Um, and, um, and I used to go to the U S open, the big kind of inter international event that I think is going to come back this year, you know, post COVID. Um, and yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I'd love to kind of be a professional, uh, tennis player. Is tennis. I just have a cool question. Is tennis like, would you say it's like really, really cardio? Like, cause I have a few people who played tennis in my high school, like when I was in high school and they always said that it was way harder on your like cardio than everyone, anyone ever thought. Yeah, yeah, it is tough on, uh, you know, part of the things is uh, I used to, uh, you know, be trained um, at the at the USTA, the side of the US Open, and they would make us do cardio. Um, like, you know, Arthur Ashe Stadium, uh, basically the main stadium where all those, you know, big tennis players play and stuff. Yeah. Um, I had to run up those steps um, 
like, oh. and I was like five, six, seven years old, um, running up those steps up and down trained by kind of the pros there and stuff. So that's kind of number one, obviously you need skills because for example, you know, somebody who has better, better cardio than me, I know how to position the ball really well. And so I could just make them run all over the court and then just stand in one single location. So what you're saying is I wouldn't score one point against you. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm hearing from this. So, but that, that's how they kind of train me. And the other thing, the other secret to tennis, uh, whoever plays tennis is a lot of people try to, you know, get these big pecs, right. Show it off. And they'll like push with their pecs or their like arms and stuff. That is the biggest way to waste your energy. And that's also the biggest way to kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, not last very long. You're actually supposed to use your legs, like the bending on your legs. And uh, so there are people who I was like six years old, my racket was bigger than me, but I was beating these kids who were like 10, 11 in the camp because they didn't know how to use their legs. They kept trying to body shove it and their shots were so weak because your legs are much bigger than kind of any other muscle. So it's like efficiency kind of efficiency over like trying to muscle it work smarter, not harder kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Not only do you hit it harder, you know, with your legs, but then you last longer. So dang, that's cool. Yeah. I'm, really cool. I play baseball. That's like the least cardio sport of all time. So it's hard for me to comment on that. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I did sports that are neither of those, and I was not very good at any of them, but, uh, all right, Brady, so, right now I'm drinking a, uh, a ranch water, it's like a hard seltzer, Ant here, and I, we're kind of seltzer guys, he's drinking a beer right now, but, uh. It's horrible, I don't recommend this, it's terrible, <laughs> but the can looks cool. What kind of alcohol do you like, what are, what are you into? Yeah, so, I may have answered this question before, but I don't drink alcohol, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ever since college, I would just, uh, I just rely on my kind of social charm to kind of get away. But, uh, but yeah, I just don't, I don't like the taste of alcohol. I don't, yeah, it doesn't, you know, make me think well. I just, uh, yeah, so I just don't, I don't drink alcohol. I respect that, man. I respect that. All right. Tell us about food then. I hear about tacos. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, obviously, uh, there's a couple and I, I like authentic tacos, but, um, I went to the uh, Breakers in Florida. It's like this uh, five-star hotel. This is when I was very young. Um, it was like my, f- my first or second job out of college. And they took us to uh, you know five-star hotel. They paid for a massage and a room and everything. And I had these like amazing fish tacos there. But basically, the Breakers in Florida has some of the best tacos. And I posted a picture of this before that I ever had. It's like mahi-mahi fish. Looks like it- it's heavenly. It's very, very, very comfortable. Those are some of the best tacos I have. In the city, um, obviously this is a chain, but you know, uh, Los Tacos is kind of very well known. And they, uh, I think they just have like, it's just very well flavored. Um, I typically get either grilled chicken or pork. They put like cilantro, they cut up the onions oh, real nice. Cilantro, man, that's, that's what I think is the key to tacos is like cilantro and lime, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's also how I uh, make my fish and stuff. I don't cook as much anymore, but. I do like this halibut dish with like lemon and cilantro. I think it adds a little bit of a, you know, kind of nice touch to it. What's your signature dish? Because I know you, you responded to one of my Twitter posts a while back saying you're kind of a foodie. What's your, your best dish you'd have to say? Oh, yeah. So I would say the halibut and the, uh, I did seared scallops and I posted a picture of that before that I um, okay. did fresh. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm very proud of those. And they, they, they were very well seared. <laughs> so. That sounds good. Yeah, seafood's, seafood is very good. Especially if you can get it fresh. Seafood is amazing. Oh, yeah. Teddy, can you even get tacos where you're from? Um, dude, I don't Taco get any Bell? food. Yeah, I get, I get Taco Bell. That's all I got. I got to go on vacation to get good tacos. I don't know if you know this, Brady, but I'm in Iowa, and um, I literally eat gas station pizza. That's all I'm going to say. Um, no, I feel you. I understand. Um, yeah. I've been up there for work before and stuff, so it's kind of deserted. Yeah, it's kind of on an island. You don't really, I don't really have much. I have to kind of abide by what Iowa gives me. So on here, we kind of do like a, a section where we talk about certain stocks or certain sectors, and we kind of do bullish versus bullshit um, based on if you think that they're bullish in the long term versus the short term, depending on what we kind of want to talk about. And today, I think we want two kind of long-term sector uh, questions for you. And the first one is NFTs. Um, do you think they're bullish or do you think they're bullshit for the long term? And if these names like, like TCAT and Zekin are going to kind of, I guess, 
get real revenue from NFTs in the future? Yeah. So the thing is, uh, my opinion on small cap sectors is I don't even think about this revenue nonsense. <laughs> um, no, I understand the whole craze with kind of NFTs, but um, I don't think that's going to be like, for example, uh, so you talked about electric vehicles as well earlier. So I'll touch yeah, on that yeah. too. But like, I think, you know, NFTs can certainly, you know, come back. There were a couple hits or some, but I don't think that's kind of, um, I don't think that's going to be one of the kind of the main sectors in the near future. Um, okay. Like, I, I mean, it could still be a, you know, it could still be a high flying sector of revenue and all that. And it could come back, right. Maybe six months later or something like that. But I think right now is um, so you probably know this just from kind of all these posts, but um, semiconductors and BLM were the two sectors that went parabolic, right? Like we saw UONE or all these tickers went from like, you know, $3 to whatever, right? That's a short squeeze. That's not, you know, like, hey, this is a very valuable company. Yeah. It's a short squeeze. And so semiconductors have yet to go. And so, and that's the semiconductor shortage is still very much in play, right? So what, what that means is what, what can set off these sectors is usually kind of um, like world events, right? So anything you get from a bill or like, you know, anything mentioning the semiconductor shortage, right? Or maybe, you know, kind of one company, it could just be like a carve, right? Or LEDs or you know, kind of a car type play, right? For BLM, um, for semiconductor, if one of them goes off, all the others are just going to sympathize, right? Or yeah. they call them sympathy plays. And so, and so I think, you know, uh, in terms of sectors, I'm kind of looking through my sector list. So I would put I would put semiconductors on kind of the very top of that list. In terms okay. of electric vehicles, right? Electric vehicles went crazy back in November because this was the whole thing about kind of inauguration, right? Biden comes into power, solar, EV, all these plays go crazy. I think, you know, I think electric vehicles is, yeah, it's fine, whatever, but it's just, I feel like, it, you know, the, the trend's just been around for too long and it's just kind of, you know, fade into the essence of the deep. <laughs> it could come back one day, right? But I just don't think it's going to be a focused sector. And, you know, it's been so quiet for a very, very long time. Yeah. So kind of what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is we're calling bullshit on NFTs and EVs right now. Um, my kind of thoughts on EVs are those big companies like Ford, um, all those Chevy, all those companies are, are, in place they have the facilities they have everything to be able to mass produce if they decide to next week um like ford just released their ford maverick which i think it's like um hybrid or something but they could make a full electric vehicle truck if they want to and they could have it mass producing within the year and um these these fiskers these go evs these um lightning e-motors i don't think they have that in them i don't think they have kind of the capabilities to do that on the same level as all these old time makers um, like Tesla and CCIV, I think are probably the two that survive. And then some of the other ones that have parts like GoEV, they have a good skateboard technology they could sell to, to companies like Chevy, like Ford. Um, but a lot of these companies that are actually producing vehicles, I don't think that they're going to be able to kind of um, oversell or beat out big names like Ford, Toyota, like Honda, whoever decides to do whatever they're going to do, I don't think they can beat them out. That's kind of my thoughts on those smaller companies that came public within the last six months. Yeah, it's, it's also the whole hype thing, right? So leading up to it, there's a lot of hype, but then all of a sudden now you need to show people proof you can generate revenue and you can be profitable and, you know, do something with your company, right? Yeah, and yeah. that's where, you know, that's where a lot of things are just going to perish. <laughs> so, Neo's yeah. a good one. I like Neo a lot. Yeah, Neo is a good one. Uh, I, I never understood the hype behind NFTs, like just the general, like not, not like in regards to stocks, but like what an NFT actually is. I just don't understand that. Like, ha like how is that popular? It's yeah. like, like it just the concept seems so off to me. It's just something to do with. I think it was the fact that it connected Bitcoin and like media that people just like took off with it, and it was also something that people could just like sell like people could sell the nfts as the next big like bitcoin thing that's going to go off because that was after electric vehicles and green energy plays kind of calmed down so i think they needed something and nfts came out and it's yeah. like this is bitcoin this is connecting social media youtube videos whatever videos whatever pictures artists to bitcoin and to other people and it's revenue producing um but i just i couldn't really see the long-term appeal on it so i'm calling bullshit too with brady 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely calling bullshit on uh, some of these EV names and definitely calling bullshit on NFTs. Um, I really like CCIV and NEO long term. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It. I, I want to see what Fisker does because it's. I mean, they're not producing vehicles yet. I mean, it, the the SUV looks really nice. Mm-hmm. It looks kind of like I, a Chevy Trailblazer, cool. to be honest. But they just need to capitalize on this. So. Yeah. Well, Brady, I really like the semiconductor play too because I saw you talk about that in Atlas um, last week, and I kind of did a little bit of my own research on it. And it feels like the semiconductor shortage is is not going to be short up soon, but within these next like few months are kind of pivotal months. And I think, I mean, people are going to calculate that and kind of, I think, price it in maybe a little before. And that could that could trigger something really big like you were talking about. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, um, anything that's a prior sector runner always has the ability to come back for, you know, once it you know kind of sells off completely, it can come back for a secondary bounce, especially if it was parabolic, right? So yeah. the reason I thought BLM was going to come back from the Juneteenth, you know, thing is because that was such a parabolic move. Anytime you get something that significant, there's usually some sort of secondary bounce after you know it does that. Now, semiconductors was not only a kind of a run, it was a super parabolic run. I kn- the other thing that kind of clarifies it as a super parabolic run is um, sometimes these plays, after they go up parabolic, they'll pull back and they'll run up again and then pull back and run up again, forming higher lows, basically. Um, okay. Semiconductors did that in an unnatural amount of times, three, four, more than I've seen in some other sectors. It means that it's a, it's a super parabolic one, right? That's worth watching for a secondary bounce. Um, yeah. And then in terms of shorts, right? It's extremely dangerous for them to short in a demand area with a secondary bounce, right? In a you know prior hot sector is just like, I mean, we saw what happened with BLM, right? So, you know, that's why like, it's just, you know, if you're going to short, you know, don't pick this area to short. Um, and so that's like, so if there's still shorts there, which um, I forgot, I think I checked the short interest on some of these. It's like 14, 15% or something. That's still very high. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. That's re- that's pretty high for, for something that could be triggered like, like semiconductors could be. Yeah, yeah. And so like any Biden mention or whatever, right, that can set it off. If not, it could also naturally just, you know, get set off just kind of, you know, it bases, right, technical bounce, and then all of a sudden people have their eyes on it. Yeah, technical bounce can can kind of light up a squeeze if it needs to. Um, So Brady, what do you kind of find yourself doing on the weekends away from stocks? What do you kind of vibe with um, in the city that you live in? And what do you kind of you just do with your free time? Yeah, so uh, on vacation, I went fishing um, for the first time. That was weird. Um, uh, I was, uh, yeah, I saw like, um, I actually just went to watch. Uh, they, yeah, spectators cost, I think, seven bucks or something. But my brother was learning it for the first time. So we bought like worms and he had to do that. Um, uh, I like hiking sometimes. Uh, it's actually kind of, you know, relaxing. In the city, a um, couple of things I like doing is, uh, you know, there's a, went to a piano bar recently um, in New York City, uh, Bo Peep, posted some pictures, but it's a nice little spot. Um, I, uh, I also watch a lot of football and... Um, What's your team? Uh, so I'm a Giants fan, but, you know, they have... Oh, boy. Um, so uh, just because, you know, uh, where I live. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I watch the, the Patriots and and whatnot and i i know the teams well because i do fantasy every year oh who's your who's your picks this year i need i need some help last year i got to the playoffs but i didn't make it very far oh yeah i don't um i don't actually start thinking about them until kind of august um because you don't have to right because you don't you don't know who's gonna start you don't have enough information right yeah um oh so espn has these kind of like uh they'll do like this um they'll rank basically like all the fantasy picks right but they'll give you more than than that they'll give you information like okay this guy is now with this thing whatever right and if you watch the teams you'll know like for example kansas city always has a good run game right so it doesn't matter if the guy there is like you know you know not great or whatever they're gonna find a way to make their running back a star kansas city like is always gonna make whatever running running back there a star like i mean you remember this right like uh you know Charkandrick West and like all these people from nowhere, right? Just becoming superstars. Damien, mm-hmm. you know, like 
So yeah, so that's the, you know, that that's one of the things I look out for um, in terms of wide receivers. I look for, I try to look for value. So like um, this was when Steve Smith was still playing. Right. But that guy was like a, a WR one. Right. But like everybody treated him as like trash. And so you could basically get a WR one, like in the eighth round or something like that, or, yeah. or sixth round and nobody would notice he was getting like, especially PPR. So I look for those types of teams, right. That can kind of, you know, give you a lot of catches and stuff. Right. And that aren't, you know, kind of um, on radar as much. Right. So yeah, it's just, man. yeah, it's just like, it, it all depends on like, for example, you know, Rogers, right. Can make two wide receivers really, really good um, and yeah. give them a lot of catches and, and hits. So. Yeah, I think for me, um, I would kind of give you my player picks, but I know that some people in my league are going to be watching this, and they would probably try to fuck me over and take who I want before. But I think for wide receivers, the thing that I've been kind of doing is looking for for ones, because we're in a half PPR, I think, and um, I just look for ones that are going to get those like those targets per game, get like double-digit targets. If you can get 10 targets um, most weeks, then then I'm going to want you on my team because you're going to catch six of those most of the time. Um and if you get six of those for 50 yards, then that's that's enough points for me. Like, it's nothing great, but it's enough points for me. Um, and running backs, I mean, I just look for those those ones that they have a good offensive line is kind of what I focus on is just determining a team that is also not going to be behind all the time. So, like, something like um, I'm a Vikings fan, um, and when they're behind, Dalvin Cook doesn't quite do as well as he normally would. So if it's going to be a team that's going to lose most of their games and they're going to be throwing the ball – they're not going to be trying to run um, run those dives and run inside zones. So I just kind of look for those kind of things. But um, I'm decent at fantasy football. I like it a lot. I, I probably spend quite a bit too much time um, looking at my team and watching my players during the week than actually watching the teams that I like. Um, but, yeah, I really like um, Josh Allen. That's who I've had on my team for two years. Yeah, he was kind of my guy the last few years at quarterback because he would drop in the draft and then I would snag him. And also he, he runs can like, too. yeah, he can like truck linebackers and stuff yeah. and just like randomly lay out a safety if he wants to. The dude is an animal. Yeah, no, no, I agree with that. So yeah, yeah, it's the, that's the whole strategy, right? Pass catching running backs to get those points, right? And then, you know, the wide receivers are where you want to look for value for. And I actually care a lot about explosiveness, um, like the ability to like um, Russell Wilson is an excellent uh, quarterback. So like, uh, remember when he made, he made Doug Bolwin, right? Like a really good wide receiver, but nobody yeah. noticed until like six years later. Mm -hmm. So these are the type of value picks that you can kind of, you know, pick. Yeah, I agree, man. So um if you had to pick a few long-term stocks to just like throw some money in and say you want to buy a car in a few years, so you want to double your money. Um, if you had to pick like three stocks, what would kind of be your top three picks? Yeah. So um, I, I was really into this kind of uh, last year or so, um, but uh, I haven't done as much kind of research on that front yet. Um, obviously I know um, SPCE was one of the ones that I told uh, scalper Ryan <laughs> to stash away there you go it's winning now <laughs> so um and like back then i also talked about dkng this was back in november december right and i think it went to you know 80 bucks or something 75 before it kind of fell down um but yeah those are the type of ones where i like those cult tickers that can give me actually um like perhaps like a hundred percent return in only six months so yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of like long term but it's also kind of like pretty short term and so the way I like to kind of play these is, you know, like, uh, you know, obviously there's people with a you know, ton of capital there, right? Just like, you know, bajillion dollars, right? But, you know, the, the way I like to think about it for long term, I actually don't think of long term more than like kind of six months, right? If you're kind of a, you know, and so the, the way I like to think of it is uh, the market, and this goes to your question on the market too. So typically, you know, September, you know, broader market, there's a huge sell-off, right? Kind of, you know, broader market indices. Um, and November is one of those stronger seasonal months where you usually get an oversold rally. So I actually like to buy like good stuff, kind of that November timeframe, and you can hold it through basically April, right? If you're looking yeah, at yeah. those kind of large cap tickers, DKNG, all those, all those tickers went insane. So I remember kind of, I was talking about kind of Bitcoin, in October because they had a, you know, halving cycle and it went kind of just a week later. Right. And then I was talking about weed, you know, nobody was talking about weed. 
And all of a sudden, Georgia Senate runoffs, boom, right? And then, you know, Tilray is at $67 from $7. Um, and then DKNG and then SPC were some other ones that I liked. I was yeah. actually really big on NNDM, and I thought that thing was going to reach 3032 at some point um, by the end of the year. I know there's still time, but it's been a little bit disappointing. But that was the other play that I thought had a lot of potential. I love um, NNDM a lot, yeah, actually. Why do you guys like it? What's kind of the DD behind it? I haven't done enough on it. Well, um, the, the way I kind of uh, think about this way is um, I thought that 3D printing was kind of repeating its cycle from, you know, four years ago. And that's what I thought about weed and Bitcoin, actually. And they did repeat it. 3D did repeat it as well, but not as, I don't know, prominently. <laughs> okay. But, um, but um, yeah, so, I mean, that, you know, that was one of the things. And obviously, you know, they've done a, they, uh, before kind of all this downtrend stuff that happened beginning in February, right? And then DM was doing an offering like almost every day or something like that. No, not that frequently, but they were doing it so often. And, but people were just buying the offering. So they have like a ton of cash, right? And it's the 3D printing, you know, type angle, right? I don't, the way I do DD is more about like, I look for other factors, right? Cause this isn't like, you know, uh, Tesla or some, you know, multi-large cap, you know, earnings growth, all that, right? I look for more of that kind of technical angle and kind of what's happening in the real world that can make it happen, right? Like, so for example, weed was, it's going to repeat the four-year cycle. Uh, you got Georgia Senate runoffs coming up as a catalyst, right? Which can set off, you know, weed tickers. Uh, BTC, every four years, I'm just going to pay attention to it. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, it wasn't some magic event, right? The happening cycle happens like every four years. So yeah. the next four years, I'm going to be all over it and I'm going to be buying the dip. Um, and so these are kind of the things that, that go into it. So those are some of the ones I looked at in the past. I haven't been doing research on kind of new ones just cause I've been focused on, you know, just kind of day-to-day training. Okay. So I really, really appreciate those, uh, those, those ticker names. I think if this episode was going to come out today, people would probably get a really good idea of what to scalp tomorrow with SPCE. Um, cause that news, I mean, that was, that was nuts. I saw the video of him up in space or the picture of him up in space and then landing. I was like, man, a billionaire just went to space. Like he just took a flight to space. That's nuts to me. Um, but we're going to kind of wrap up the episode here, but we have one last thing to talk about our viewers. Um, they know what we like to put at the end of the episode. They know what's coming. It's the conspiracy baby. Um, and this one, I was kind of just scrolling through conspiracies on news earlier, and this one caught my eye because I had never heard of it one single time. I'd never heard anyone say anything like this before. But, um, Brady, I have to ask, do you think birds are government spies? Uh, no. Um, I never thought about <laughs> that way, but it makes me think about, you know, kind of, uh, you know, people training these birds. <laughs> yeah. So essentially what I read was, is that there's some CIA or FBI agent who's come out and recently said that back in like 1980 or 1970s or something, maybe even a little bit before the 1960s, that the government like did some secret um, mission organization type of thing to basically set something in the air that would track and kill birds. So it was like some um, chemical agent. And then they replaced the birds with some type of mechanical bird that was videoing at all times. And the CIA agent has come out and another one came out and they, another one was like, yeah, that's true. That actually happened. Um, but I, I've looked at a lot of birds. I've seen a lot of birds they look like they have feathers and they look like they um, don't have a blinking red dot on their eyes that is from a video camera. Um, and what do you think? What do you think on that? Well, you know, now that I think about it, right, obviously they're not going to make every bird turn into that. So, you know, you could have 50, 50 birds, right, you know, in, yeah. in Washington Square Park, but Dude. only one of them is a spy. And that that's the whole camouflage and kind of, you know. You know what's really suspect? Geese. Geese are scary, man. Those things are like they hate humans. Maybe those those dudes got some. They some shit video everywhere. No, I don't. I just think if that was true, then like nobody would have caught one of the mechanical birds by now. Brady like, brought up something. a good point, though. It could just be like one in like a hundred. It could be one in a thousand birds have have a video camera That's in true. their head. No, I don't. I think there's no chance. I, I feel like so. I feel like there, like one would have malfunctioned. Somebody would have picked it up, or yeah. something like that. There had to. Um, there would have had to. Maybe, dude. Maybe the government is going and finding those people who find those dead bird 
robots. And this is a bigger conspiracy than we ever thought. Maybe. I'm uh, calling I, bullshit, though. I think we should do the question. I have a question for the day. It's, um, before we wrap this up, it's what are the wor- what's the worst and the best thing about FinTwit? Oh, yeah. Good question. <laughs> that is a good question. Um, so, yeah, so I don't like drama. Um, and so I completely, uh, you may see this, but I just completely uh, ignore and avoid, you know, anybody doing anything. It doesn't have to be to me. I've been actually, I've been able to kind of avoid drama. So that's good. Um, but yeah, I just don't like participate in it. Um, so I think that's kind of annoying. Like, you know, all these people say, yeah. Oh, who's, who's better than who I was like, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. It's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I would say that's one thing. Um, one of the best things about FinTwit actually is um and uh i encourage actually people to do this now i don't think anybody has, has actually thought about this but you know scalper ryan used to have like like 30 followers or something um in, in kind of obscurity and then we, you know, we started working together you know i retweet him out because you know not only i mean he had good content and he was like working hard he has a family he like you know works till 4 a.m at night He's very different than, you know, some other go-getters, right? Who might, you know, study hard, but he really goes at it. And um, eventually as his following grew, um, he was able to ask people questions because you know how it's, it's all, it's all this big ego game sometimes for other people, right? So it's just like, if you're not popular enough, (laughs) nobody wants to talk to you. But Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things, good things about FinTwit actually is, you know, if you take the time to network, you don't even need to be famous, a famous trader or something like this Masenia guy who's always you know, hanging out with Atlas, right? He has somehow is like, I think he has a thousand followers. I don't check all this stuff, but, you know, um, and, and he basically, if he ever were to reach out to ask for questions or something like that, I'd be happy to answer him because I know who he is and, and whatever. Anybody else <laughs> who's just random, like, why would I, you know, bother to, to do, do that? And yeah. so... I think FinTwit is actually a great way for you to network and meet new people and improve your, your trading. Um, a lot of the skill that I've accumulated over time is not only from past mentors, it's from current new mentors. Um, when I used to do the stream, I learned a lot from you, Teddy, right, on kind of bio plays. Um, you know, incredible Bob taught me about bio plays. So by me learning from Bob and then you adding to it, it kind of just like, okay, you know, helps me click. Now, I might not use any of those strategies, but it's just like that information is very valuable that I can turn into something. For example, yeah, yeah. like Bob taught me something and I switched it to basically cater to my style. So basically he taught me something in bio world and I turned that into the sector rotation strategy that I have today because that's what I'm good at, right? So I turned what he taught me and added my own mix into the strategy I have today. So yeah, in terms yeah. of FinTwit, I would say, the networking to learn stuff because literally some of these guys are like educational now, right? Like this ACE trades guy, he knows how to read level two. He's, you know, um, you know, like you reach out, you kind of ask him, you learn about that, right? It's just that I think it's a great resource to be able to kind of learn all this. The, the problem is a lot of people won't reply to people they don't know. You know, a lot of people think it's all about the followers, but it's all actually, it, and, and that's part of it, but it's also part of you kind of forming a connection with someone. Yeah, how you you kind of learn. So I agree because I have some people who follow me that they respond to my tweets a lot, and I just get to know them over time. Like they respond to me, and I just get to remember. Okay, I know this guy because he's responded to like five of my tweets in the last week. And then if that guy were to DM me, then I would respond because I know exactly like I know who you are. You respond to my tweets. Um, but if it's like I don't know you and you DM me, then I'm like I I really don't know you. I don't know like how I can help you. I don't know anything. I don't remember you being under any of my tweets or anything like that. Um, but for me, I think I think the worst thing about FinTwit probably would be um, the possibility that like these cult name tickers can have bad intentions behind them. Like um, LTNC, that was just a horrible situation for a lot of people. Um, stuff like that can happen, and that kind of that's just bad. I don't like that. Um, I think that if I mean, there's a legal suit going on, all that drama and stuff. Um, I think that that's just a bad situation for a lot of people who got told that something is really good and then randomly bought in, which is not right in general for them. But um, yeah, just not a good situation. Then the best thing on FinTwit um, is that man named Greg with a bunch of random numbers after his name. If you guys don't know who I'm talking about, Zach Morris tweets at this guy sometimes. 
but it's like Greg, and then it's a bunch of random letters and or numbers. I mean, it's like a randomly generated. Yeah, name. he's a randomly generated name with like a hundred and fifty, like thousand followers. He's got Mark Cuban to respond to him. He's gotten um, Oreos to like make an Oreo of his face or something. And he's like a big Dodgecoin supporter. He's hilarious, though. If you don't know who I'm talking about, go find Greg. Gotcha. I'm looking at him right now. Interesting. Yeah, he's a funny guy. Ant, what do you think? Best, worst? Um, I was going to say drama, but I think you guys covered that on what's the worst thing. But something else I could probably say would be the worst thing is the misconception that this is easy or, or that the misconception that you're just going to make thousands and thousands of dollars in a few months. Um, and there's some people that'll say, oh, I made $500,000 and, th- and I've only been trading three months. It's not that easy. It's It doesn't happen like that. Um, you're, and you're sending the wrong message to to people that just started. They see that they, and they don't know what to believe. They think that's true or they think that's a reality, but it takes a lot of hard work and dedication to become successful. So I would say that's probably the worst thing, in my opinion, on Fintwit. Uh, the best thing would be the connections you make, um, the people you meet, the the friends you make along the way. Like I had a year ago, I had no idea who Teddy was. Um, we met through Discord or Twitter, one of them. And now we have a podcast together. So exactly for yeah. for me, that's the best. That definitely by far the best thing is. Uh, if you're willing to put yourself out there and try to make connections with people, like Brady mentioned, um, yeah, the sky's the limit then. Because I would have never thought I'd I would have a podcast a year ago or be in this position. So I worked at a warehouse a year ago. I didn't think I was going to be making a podcast ever. Yeah. yeah. All right. So um, I think that's everything we wanted to uh, get you on, Brady. But. Thank you very much for uh, coming on, and we definitely want you on in the future as we go up levels because season one is beginner, season two will be kind of intermediate, and then we're going to get more advanced. But we definitely want to have you on again, uh, talk about some VPA, talk about some other stuff. But uh, this was a really great first episode, so uh, thank you very much, Brady. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it, uh, Teddy, Ant. Very nice to meet, and uh, thanks for the opportunity. It's yep. great meeting you. Peace out, everybody. Later. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. Think I'm gonna quit my job and get fucked up I try to not